word. We are in Galatians, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, the book that is all about grace. So, man, if you're tired of hearing about grace, which I certainly you hope that you never, ever, I not I hope, I pray you never will be tired of hearing about grace. I pray you all become grace-aholics, actually. Uh, we're going to continue talking about grace. Anyone need a Bible? Please raise their hands nice and high. Let's all become graceaholics together. There's nothing healthier than being addicted to grace. I'll talk more about that. Verse 13 is where we're at as we started off, oh, I don't know, in September or something, in verse 1 of chapter 1, we're in chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, there can hardly be, by the way, there can hardly be a verse in the whole Bible that speaks to grace louder than this verse. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, which is a reference to Jesus being crucified. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would open up our eyes, our ears, our minds to how wide and long and high and deep is your great salvation of us, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of you, God, by your word, through your spirit, this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So I pray for you, Calvary Chapel, that the grace of God will become the very breath of your life, that you would breathe the very that you would breathe it, breathe grace that it'll become so natural to you, it'll be the very breath of your life, grace. Our working definition for the word grace is what? You deserve a punishment, you get a reward. Grace. 
You deserve a punishment, you get a reward. And the verse they're in, we're in right now, there can hardly be a verse in the Bible which is more about that very thing, more a description of grace. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When we see the word curse, we may think of a voodoo priest ascending curses. Now, there's, that stuff is real, but that's not what this sermon is about. And, and, and for purposes of this sermon, just you can try to forget about that. Curse is a word that is used frequently in the Bible. What the word curse means, it says Jesus Christ became a curse for you. What it means, it's, it's, a, it's a declaration of divine judgment. It, it, it's theologians, uh, they tell us the first example of a curse in the Bible, the first example of a curse in the Bible um, is in Genesis chapter 2, very beginning of the Bible, where it says the Lord God, Genesis 2, I think this is 16 and 17, commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, theologians call that the first curse that was proclaimed. It, it's the curse of death, and the day that you sin, you will die. There's a verse in Ezekiel uh, like that. But from the very beginning of the Bible, you have a declaration of a curse. They could do abs eat anything uh, in the Garden of Eden, but there was one fruit. They said, just stay away from that one fruit. Because in the day that you eat it, you'll die. Uh, th th that's a curse. So as you know, Adam and Eve um, ate the fruit of the knowledge of good, uh, good and evil. And by doing it, they came under a curse. The curse of death. And as we discussed a couple weeks ago, um, the law of Moses, uh, which comes quite a bit uh, later, um, th there's the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, about 600 other laws, uh, and uh, there were specific curses associated for disobeying the law. Go back to verse 10 of Galatians uh, chapter 3. It says, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Oh, how I, I pray every Sunday morning, I pray that you, you all, that I would understand the connection between our sin, our behavior, and Jesus' death on the cross. He became a curse for us because we were under a curse. Who has ever obeyed, even for a day, what that law is in Verse 10 there, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 27, 
Cursed is everyone who does not continue in some of the things. No, all things which are written in the book of the law. Every man, every woman under a curse. That is how holy God is. God is perfect. Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Everyone living under a curse, the Bible says. But verse 14 says, but Jesus, 13 rather, says Christ, Jesus Christ, has redeemed you, has saved you, has purchased you from the curse of the law, having become a curse for you. In one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Sobering. You know, when you're drunk and you sober up, something sobers you up like someone slapping you on the face. We get sobered up, uh, many of us, not by alcohol, but by pride. The Bible says supremely, drunkenness is about being proud. Did you know that? Being proud because of our self-righteousness. Um, but one of the most sobering passages, one that will wake us up from our pride, whack, 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 wake up, wake up, Steve, read this verse, Matthew 25, this is Jesus speaking, and he says in verse 31 and verse 41, when the Son of Man, that's speaking of himself, comes in his glory, speaking of the second coming, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of glory. He'll sit on the throne of glory. And what's gonna happen there? Well, among other things, verse 41 says, and he will say to those on his left, to depart from me, you cursed. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, at the very beginning of the service, Dan asked if anyone was awake. I sure hope you're awake now after reading that verse. Depart from me, you cursed. Some translations say, you cursed ones. This is Jesus speaking. Well, that doesn't sound like my Jesus. My Jesus doesn't sound like, well, well, listen, then your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is what he says on the throne of judgment. Now, those on his right hand, they go into everlasting life. But he says, those on his left, he said, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, and so uh, it, it, this tells you something. Uh, I, I pray it will make you uh, something. I, I pray, actually, that if you really meditate on this verse and, and not, not go, whoa, whoa, I gotta go right on to the next verse. I'm not sure I wanna spend meditating on this verse. No, meditate on this verse because this verse will make you love Jesus Christ more than you ever have. Because what it says here when you connect it to verse 13 of Galatians 3, that he became a curse, what was part of the curse? What was the curse? Anyone want to shout it out? What is the curse we read about here? Shout it out. What? <laughs> what does it say right here, what the curse is? Everlasting fire is the curse. Jesus became a curse for you, Calvary Chapel. He experienced death and hell on the cross. That's why he cried out 
In Matthew 27, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In in some sense that we don't really understand, he was experiencing the curse. He was experiencing hell, the judgment of hell for you. Fall in love with Jesus, Calvary Chapel. Fall in love with him because that's what he did for you. Don't skip right over this verse. Drink it in. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. He became a curse for you. Um, um, but the, of course, what this also means um, is that um, there are people who remain under the curse and they never come out from under the curse because they reject God, they reject Jesus Christ. They never seek God. The Bible says that you can be living in a jungle in the Amazon with no person, no other outside world there. The Bible says if you seek him, you will find him if you search with him for all your heart. That's why there's missionary stories abound of showing up in a tribe in the middle of nowhere and people were expecting them to come. They were, that's what happens when people seek Jesus. They find them. But if they reject them, they remain under the curse. Or should I say, if you have rejected Jesus, you remain under a curse, the Bible says. So that's what a curse is. But there can um, hardly be a verse, um, these verses, more about the grace of God because it says in verse 13, he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 14 says, that so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So remember, what did we say grace was? Oh man, if you haven't memorized this by now, uh, you, maybe you shouldn't do the scripture memory night. No, you should, you should, you should anyway. But we, we, this is what we talk about a lot. It's the definition of grace. You deserve a punishment. You get a reward. We were under a curse. We deserve to be under a curse. We deserve to have that everlasting fire. Jesus suffered the curse for us. And in its place, verse 14, the blessing of Abraham comes upon us. End of the verse says, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Meaning, when by faith, when Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, Revelation 3.20 says, and he says, hello, I'm the Lord, I'm God, I'm Jesus Christ, I died for you, I want to come in and I want to take over completely. And you say, yes, come in, take control, full control, take up every room, come in. You receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that word gift, that word grace means charis. David and Sarah Kim's oldest daughter, Karis, that's her name. It's a wonderful, it, it, it's a wonderful uh, name, Karis. By the way, so is my uh, third daughter's name. Her name is Grace. It's the same word, Grace, Karis, gift. It means, it means gift. That's what it means. And, and here, it says what the gift was that we receive instead of having everlasting fire, death, and hell, it says we receive the gift. And what is it? What does the verse say? Verse 14. What is the gift? 
What does it say it is here? That's right, the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit, which, yeah, that the Holy Spirit is, the Bible says, is what comes in and washes us through the regeneration. Um, and and he, he, gives us whole, um, he gives us life, but um, it's the Holy Spirit that is that gift that is really is that reward. And we see this in the very first sermon that's ever given in Acts chapter 2. And I talk a lot about this sermon because it's the first sermon ever given after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. The people in front of the apostle Peter, towards the end of his sermon, they're freaking out. And they're freaking out and they're saying, what should we do? Because they realized they were guilty uh, John, can you take that? Can you take it down? I just wanna I wanna focus on this for a while before we get to the verse. They're they're guilty. They realize they're guilty of, of crucifying Jesus Christ. In the first sermon, um, uh, Peter said to the people, "You crucified Jesus," and they realized, "Whoa, yeah, we did. We crucified Jesus." And then they cry out to Peter, "What do we do?" What do we do? We've crucified Jesus Christ. And this is how Jesus, uh, rather Peter responded. He said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of your sin. And then the same thing we just read about in Galatians 3.14, that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. That is grace. We deserve a punishment and we get a reward. I want to talk a little bit about this gift. I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit is a big, big deal. Turn to Romans chapter 8. By the way, if you still don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can send you, a, give you a Bible. We can send you a Bible. Would send a Bible to you through an usher. Anyone not have a Bible? Because we're, we're, we're going to, we're a couple Bibles over here. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is to the left of Galatians. And as part of my memory, scripture memorization, I... I, I do, I, I've, mem I've memorized... Um, I memorized Romans chapter 8, actually. And uh, my daughter Grace graced me this week by helping me out. But look at verse 11. We're going to read about the Holy Spirit now, which we've just read twice in Galatians 3.14, and we also read it in Acts 2.38, is the reward. It's the gift that you get instead of a punishment. And I hope... This just makes your heart want to adore God and yearn for the experience, the fullness of the Spirit to be manifest in your life. Verse 11 says this. Let's read it together. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is the grace. That is the charis. That is the gift, the reward that you get. Instead of a punishment, you get a reward. The gift of the Spirit. I got to tell you, I hope that whets your appetite to study the Word of God about the, the blessedness of the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 11, it says, the Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies, to your dead bodies. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives life to our dead bodies. The abundant life is what it says. Okay, so let's, let's go back to Galatians chapter three, verse 14. We've read about the punishment. We've read about the curse, what Jesus experiencing the curse, being replaced, our curse, our sentence of death and hell being replaced by a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Actually, let's, I, I do actually, so let, uh, let, let's go on to verse 15. Let's go on to verse 15 now. And, but before I do, before I go on to verse 15, uh, I want to say this, okay? The next 10 verses are some of the hardest verses to understand in the New Testament. But now I know there's some of you, you're, you're tuning out right now. Okay, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention. Uh, I'll start listening again in 50 minutes. Don't do that, please. There, there's great stuff. There are some things in Paul's letters that are difficult to understand. Amazingly, the apostle Peter in 2 Peter actually says that. He says, he talks about the beloved brother Paul who writes letters that are some that are some of our, are difficult to understand, and so people twist them to their own destruction. Well, I don't want anyone twisting these verses to your destruction. So listen up. I am going to make these verses easy for you. That's that. That's what I do. I that's what I, I'm going to make them easy for you. They're not easy to understand. But in order to understand verse 15, it is important that you, we understand at the beginning of verse 14, what is this blessing of Abraham? It, it, it says in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, that verse 14, the blessing of Abraham would come upon you. What is that blessing? What's that blessing of Abraham? Anyone want to shout it out? What is it? What, what's the blessing of Abraham? Nope, that's not what he's referring to. Well, he, 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 that's more general. Anyone know what, what that's referring to, the blessing of Abraham? It's, it's, Genesis, it's, it's Genesis chapter 12. So I want you to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, where we will read about 
the, bl the blessing of Abraham. Abraham is basically the first Jew. Some people will argue it's Jacob, his uh, grandson. But, 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 but really, the, he, he's where the nation of Israel started. Other nations came from him uh, as well. But uh, what, the deal with Abraham <clears throat> was the world at the time of Abraham had come to the place where they were completely had rebelled from the knowledge of God. Now, they had gotten to that place once before, and that was under Noah. And uh, at the time of Noah, God floods the whole world, destroys the whole world. In righteous judgment, he does. And then what happens? Noah and his sons repopulate the world, and the same thing happens within, I don't know how many generations. Same thing happens, but... In chapter 12, rather than initiate, start a plan of another judgment of the whole world, the Lord does the opposite thing. He begins a plan of salvation. And it's, it's all what's called a unilateral promise that he is going to bless Abraham and his seed, his descendants. And so in chapter 12... Um, having done nothing good in his own life. The Bible says that Abraham's family, they just worshiped pagan gods. He was a pagan from a pagan family, doing whatever pagans do. That's who Abraham was. And so for completely for, out of grace, meaning he didn't deserve, he deserved, rather, he deserved a punishment, God gives him a reward. It says in verse 1, it says, God said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Speaking of Israel, I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curse you. And if you're taking notes, circle the last part of verse three. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's no continuation that says, because you've been so good. Or because you followed the law. Or because you've been... Uh, such a good citizen of the world. No, it says none of that. He had been a bad citizen of the world. It was just, this is what grace looks like. It makes no sense. God, he deserved a punishment. God gives them this reward. And um, at the end of verse three, it says, and in you all the, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now go to your right to Genesis 22. This is the chapter where um, um, Abraham... Uh, is sacrificing Isaac. I understand there's a movie out. I've been told that it's good by a fairly good source. I won't mention any names, but uh, it, it's, it's out now. It's like an Easter movie. But verse 18, go to verse 18. Same thing. It says, in your seed, singular, all the nations of the world, of the earth, shall be blessed. This is because you have obeyed my voice, but this all started in chapter 12. This is all about grace. Now, go back to Galatians chapter 3. 
important. The only way you're going to understand the next 10 verses of Galatians 3, if you understand what the blessing of Abraham was, and that is through Abraham's descendant, his seed. Verse verse 15 says this. He says, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. So uh, what that means there in verse 15, it, 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 it means that if, there's a, if man makes a covenant, or the actual the word here is testament or a, a will, it, it, it's what it means a will. If a man makes a will and he dies, no one can add to the will, no one can annul the will, it is exactly what he says. And the argument being that how much more is it the case with God? He, he, he promised through Abraham that through his seed, meaning Jesus Christ, the whole world would be blessed. And so just as if a man makes a will and after he dies, no one's going to change the will, it's the same thing with God. It's a, it's, a, it's a covenant of grace that was made to Abraham and it can't be taken away in any way. Let's read the next verse, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as one seed, and to your seed, who is Christ. Meaning, the seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was, in fact, a direct descendant of Abraham, through your seed, the whole world will be blessed. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, let's just continue. It says, and this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should be uh, should, that it should make the promise of no effect. Now, what is he talking about? The whole reason the book of Galatians was written was because Paul had come to the region of Galatia and he had told them, listen, um, you guys, I have good news for you. Before I give you the good news, I'll give you the bad news. You're under the curse of the law and death. You're in big trouble with God. You cannot get right with God by trying to work your way into God's favor or by trying to obey the, the law or by, by trying to be good. But listen, here's the good news. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who became a curse for you, he died for you, he rose from the dead. If you put your faith in Jesus Jesus Christ, you are saved from the curse. You're the, the curse of sin and death, and you will have life, eternal life. And, and, and the Bible says that Paul went on to say other things like, you're not under the law, Galatians. You're under grace. So what happens? The whole city is overjoyed. They beg him to come back and preach again. He preaches again all about grace. Grace, 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 grace. Paul mentions grace, by the way, a hundred times in his letters. A hundred times. 
We're supposed to be breathing grace, Calvary Chapel. So he, he preaches grace. You cannot be saved by trying to be good. You cannot be saved by obeying the law. You are saved by grace. The city, is, it says in Acts 13, is overjoyed. A church is started. He leaves. A, a little while later, what happens? Some people come into the town and say, no, no, that's not true. You, it, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also have to follow the Jewish law. You're a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, but you also have to do Lent. You, you can't have meat for 40 days. You can't have a wine or alcohol for 40 days. You, you can't have fish for 40 days. You, or or you, you just decide to go without food for 40 days. Same thing. Lent is a very dangerous season, Calvary Chapel. I know many Protestants and Catholics do it. It's dangerous because what happens, it creeps in and it winds up polluting the grace of God, the free grace of God, as if we have something to offer God. It, 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 the, the irony is, is Lent, the season of Lent, if you don't know what it is, in many Protestant and, and, and Catholic churches, they do 40 days of some kind of fasting, some kind of doing without for 40 days prior to Good Friday, which is this Friday. And listen, I don't want anyone of you to look down on anyone else uh, 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 practicing this. That's not the purpose. You're defeating the purpose of this whole sermon. This is all about love, actually. But I will tell you this. If we fast and we go without something for 40 days and we approach Good Friday service and Easter as if we had something to offer God, when the Bible says we have nothing to offer God, Jesus Christ paid the curse for us. He did all the work for us. Because um, if, if, if we allow even a little bit of the law to come in and add to the cross, it's always going to be, well, am I doing it enough? Am I doing it long enough, good enough, strong enough, with a heart good enough? No, it's all about Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Calvary Chapel, and I prayed, God, you really want me to say this Lent is a dangerous thing. You don't have anything to offer God. You can't offer him. I'm a big fan of fasting. I'm going to do a fasting workshop on a, on a Friday night, but, but, but leading up to Good Friday, the, we're celebrating the cross and, 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 and the resurrection, no, you have nothing to offer God. The Bible says, you are so reliant on, um, completely reliant um, uh, on his grace. And, but what happened is that people had come in to this region, this region of, um, uh, of Galatia right after Paul leaves and said, oh, no, no. And they saw all the joy. And this is what, this is what the law always does. It throws a wet blanket on, on, on Christian joy. It, it, that's what it does. It just throws a wet blanket on it and it starts adding stuff to the simple, simple beauty of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hanging on the cross. And it starts to add to it. And they said, no, you got to follow the Jewish laws. There are certain seasons that you have to observe. Lent. Says in the next chapter, it says, you're observing seasons now. Why are you doing that, Galatians? You're observing special days. Why are you doing that? You're, you're, you're getting circumcised. As adult men, are you nuts? Talk about stealing joy. 
And, and, and so he, um, um, he, what he says here, um, what he's saying, talking about here in verse f- uh, 17, he says, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ that it should, have, that it should uh, make no effect. What he is saying is that, listen, the law was added by Moses 430 years after that covenant of grace to Abraham. Why don't you stick with that? Stick with that covenant. Stick with grace. Don't, don't be shackled down by 613 laws in the Old Testament. And, and keep in mind, these are Jews. They knew nothing about, they, rather, these are Gentiles he's writing to. They had no, no idea what it was like to be a Jew. It was hard to be a Jew. And Peter gets up in Acts 15 and talks to his fellow Jews. Listen, why are you guys stuck with the law which neither us nor our forefathers could ever bear? So what he's saying is that just because the law arrives 430 years after Abraham, it doesn't cancel out that promise of love and grace by God is what he is saying. And so let's continue. Verse, um, verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise, meaning he gave it as a gift. If our inheritance, if our salvation is based upon how good we follow the law, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer God's promise. And then verse 19 says this, what purpose then does the law do? What's the purpose of the law? Why even follow the law? Why did God give us the law? Why? Why did that happen? Anyone want to shout it out? What's the purpose of the law? So we know why he died? Okay, that's, one, that, that, that's good. Anything, anyone else? Ah, yes. I'm sorry, that was good too. That was a good answer. <laughs> to let us know why we are sinners. Anyone else? A foreshadowing of what it is to come, Jesus Christ. Anyone else? I'm going to get in trouble with my wife. There is at least one other good answer. These are all good. What's that? To, to what? To, to, to highlight grace? Okay, actually, that, that's right. I especially got to... I especially got to be nice. It's my older brother speaking over there. I mean, it'll be nice to my older brother. There's one other one. It's very mundane. Why else, would God, why else would God give us the law? To save us from ourselves? To, 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 to separate us, that's good. It, it's, really, it's really mundane and boring, Ben. To show us, it's more boring than that. The, the, the boring answer, the, the, the boring answer, boring answer number one, um, well, well let's, let's, let's go on. It says, he actually answers the question here. What purpose does the law serve? It says in uh, the beginning of verse 19. It says it was added because of transgression. It was added, be- transgression being sin. It was added because of sin. So that means at least two things. 
it means number one, and this is the boring kind. I guess it's more boring. Uh, it, it's just a save. It, it, it was added because of sin, meaning sin, sin will destroy us if we don't have someone give us the law. <laughs> you, you, you understand it? You understand that? Uh, go down to, uh, go down to uh, verse uh, 23. It says, before faith, we were kept under guard by the law. Uh, so, uh, it, 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 so, you know, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie. If you still commit, adult, uh, commit adultery and lie, if you do those things, you will not see your life prosper, you will have your life destroyed. So, so it's given as a gift. Actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 13, Moses says to the Israelites, I'm giving you the law this day for your own good so you don't destroy yourself. I mean, you, you give your kids law, not because it's going to make them any better. Now, giving your kids rules never made them any better. It didn't make them loving, gracious kids, but it protects them. You love them. You love them. It protects them. That's one reason for the law. But the other reason, which we heard many of your answers were really reason number two. Reason number two, it's much, a much bigger deal. Through the law, you will see your desperate need for the grace of God. Through the law, you will see your desperate need for the grace of God. Go down to verse 24. Verse 24 says this. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So what does a tutor do? A tutor um, brings you, if, if someone tutors you in math, they bring you to a knowledge of math. If someone tutors you in English, they bring you to uh, a, a knowledge of English. And so the law is a tutor that brings us to Christ, meaning it shows us our desperate need for Jesus Christ. Best illustration in the Bible. Go back again to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 19. This, this demonstrates it, I think, better than anywhere in the Bible. Solomon, is there a, is there a water back there? Go back, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and 20 is when the Israelites got the law for the first time. See, we take the law for granted. There was actually a time under Moses, it was given to mankind, really, for the first time. The scene that happened when God gave Moses the law was one of the most frightening scenes really in the history of the world. Exodus 19.16 says, Then it came to pass, please read here with me, on the third day in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of a trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Verse 18. Now Mount Sinai, Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. 
Okay, go to chapter 20 now. First 17 chapters are the, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He gives Moses and the people Ten Commandments, and they're given out loud. During the, the smoke, the lightning, the shaking, it says in verse 18, read verse 18 with me. Now, all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled. They stood afar off. They said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. See, this is what the law does. The more you get into the Bible, one way to lead a person to Christ that is used by evangelists, you start in the Old Testament. I believe uh, Eric, um, Pastor Eric, uses this method. You start in the Old Old Testament. You teach people the law. You read the law over and over again. And after a while, you start meditating on the law, learning the law, reading it. You... You get terrified. You, you, you become, whoa, I am in big trouble. And, and basically what happens here, they say, Moses, you talk to us. We don't want God to talk with us we're, uh, or else we're going to die. And, and so when, the, when, it, when the, Paul in Galatians is talking about the purpose of the law, he's saying it, it's, it's necessary in order to scare us to death, which will scare us to Jesus Christ. We'll be running after Jesus Christ. So if you go back to um, um, Galatians chapter 3, uh, you know, Luther commented on Exit, Martin Luther commented on Exodus 19 and 20. And if you've never read Luther, he's just a great read, this guy. 500 years ago, it's like reading someone today in 2023. He commented on the lightning, the earthquaking, the people terrified. And he said this, when the law was given, it was accompanied by lightning storms, the sound of trumpets, to tear to pieces that monster called self-righteousness. Calvary Chapel, we are so full of ourselves. We, we get so full of ourselves. You know, I talked to a man this week, as soon as I brought up Jesus Christ and the need for Jesus Christ, this man spent an hour, I couldn't barely say a word, talking to me about how good he was. He went on and on and on and on. And let me tell you what happens when you do that, you start, look, it's so twisted, it's so contorted, you become like a monster. You need the law, as Luther says, like a hammer, like a big ax to demolish it, to demolish it. And notice what happens when the people get the law. It says they tremble, they're scared. But what happened, what happened when in Acts chapter 13, we've already talked about it, when the region of Galatia first heard about the grace of God, they were filled with joy. Freddie talked about last week what happens, how do you know where the grace of God is? Well, you go there and, and people are filled with joy. They're filled with joy. You know, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. This Friday we have a communion service. 
over on Washington Street. Again, the brochure is in there. We closed down all the Bible studies. There's no Bible studies this week. There's no Tuesday night service. We really want to focus on the Lord and our need for the Lord. If you're doing Lent, my suggestion is stop. You have nothing to offer God. You've got nothing to offer God. We want to go into the communion service after not trying to build up something that we can say to God, I've offered this to you this week. And so add to the cross, which is just a crime against the Son of God covered with blood for you. We want to go to this communion service just realizing our great need for Jesus Christ. Calvary Chapel, uh, on Sunday mornings, I, I, I go over to Franklin Park and, and, um, and I pray, and this morning I was just walking over needles. I was walking over needles, and I want to ask you something. I want to ask you something. Uh, someone who, a home, that what the needles are there for, some of you know this, but uh, homeless people having injected um, themselves with heroin, I'm walking over them this morning, and it was just such a great reminder of, uh, to me of my need for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Um, the reason it's called good news, Jesus' first sermon was in Mark chapter one, and, and the sermon was this, repent and believe the good news. Why was it good news? It was good news because some homeless person shooting themselves up with heroin, someone can come and tell them and saying, look, you can come to Jesus Christ. He died for you. He bled for you. There's nothing you can do in all of life to offer to him, but give your life to him through faith and ask him in your life. Calvary Chapel, can, uh, is there, it was, is, uh, is there, Anyone among us, anyone among you who think you have something to offer God more than a homeless person who's leaving needles after filling themselves up with heroin in Franklin Park, do you have anything more to offer God than them? If you think so, you are grossly deceived. You have nothing more to offer them that's why go down to, uh, to, to verse, in Galatians, go down to verse, um, towards the end of the chapter, uh, go down to verse uh, 28. Verse 28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all in one in Christ Jesus. There's neither black nor white, there's neither uh, drug addict or non-drug non -drug addict. There's either a, a, a drunk or non-drunk. There's either no, no workaholic or non-workaholic. Everybody is at the same place at the foot of the cross. And that's what the grace of God is. Calvary Chapel, my prayers for you this week is that you will come to the place where literally, 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 you will be emptied of that monster called self-righteousness and you will understand you have nothing more to offer than that man or woman who stinks so bad lying in the middle of Franklin Park sticking their arm with a needle. You've nothing more to offer God than them. We're all the same. And we all need the grace of God just as much. Uh, my, my prayer for you is that you would understand you need the grace and gift of God as much as them.
I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. And I'm just going to, if you've been uh, asked to pray, also if you could come up at this time. I just want to, the grace of God, the book of Galatians, this book in the book of Romans, Martin Luther read 500 years ago and it basically caused an explosion that was really eventually heard all around the world because of the grace of God. Men being rescued from dead religion, dead works by the grace of God. If there was something that stirred in your heart, I want you to come up and pray. I'll be up here. You can pray with me. Solomon, can I get a couple more couples up here? And um, if you could rise now for this closing worship song. If there's anybody in here, in this room, that has never come to the place of... uh, um, in, in, if, you've never, if you've never come to the place in your life where you've never responding to that knocking of Jesus, hey you, I want to come in and take 100% control of your life. That's what the Bible says in Revelation 3.20 happens. And you've never said, yeah, come in, take over 100%. When I was 16, 17 years old, I first heard this message. I knew it was true, but I had so much sin in my life. I knew what I was doing. I couldn't do it. I couldn't let him come in and have 100%. He's a perfect gentleman. He won't come in, if that's the case. If you've never done that in your life, come in. It's actually a prayer of faith that someone who whether they've been sticking their arms with needles this morning or they are on a corner office on the 50th floor of a, high, of a, a skyscraper in, in, in Boston. It's all the same. You're under a curse. Jesus Christ paid that curse for you, but in order to get out from underneath the curse, you have to say, Jesus Christ, come in, be master and king of my life. If you've never done that, come up. I can pray with you. One of these folks can pray with you. Or your heart has just been stirred. You want to know more about the grace of God and the freedom. Paul mentions it a hundred times because it's meant for us to breathe. It's meant to be the very breath of our life. And you just want more of an understanding of grace. Come on up as we worship. If you want to pray about anything else, Father, I just pray, God, in Jesus' name, thanking you. Thanking you for this, for just humbling us in your word. It says here there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you for humbling us through this word. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would stir people to seek you now. Seek your grace, seek your face, adore you. Lord Jesus, humble yourself. In Jesus' name.